0: Joining me for this episode is artist and singer James Sills. Now James is a musician, vocal leader and choir leader, as well as author of Do Sing. Over lockdown, James has set up the Sofa Singers, which is now a worldwide virtual community where people meet together, sing and just have a really good time. As well as this, James leads singing at events and gatherings, runs workshops for organizations and really is a massive advocate for the role of music and mental health, particularly with men's mental health. In this episode, we dive into the impact music can have and why acts of singing can help mental health, particularly within men. This is a great episode full of incredible advice and inspiration.
1: So you know when when we come together to sing, it's it's about listening primarily it's about listening to other people's voices it's about blending Um, it's about working together it's about creating something that's collaborative rather than something that that's individual and that is really really powerful you know um in itself but particularly when we're talking about big groups of men doing that together that's i think that's heightened you know because you know, there are so many kind of masks that we're expected um, to wear by society um, as males. And and the, I think perhaps the most, you know, the most interesting one is this issue of vulnerability. I think in the last 10 years, we've, we've seen so, so many leaps and strides in terms of discussions opening up around, um, male mental health in particular, but you know, there is still very much an idea that that vulnerability is a sign of weakness.
0: This is the Schofield Stories Podcast, hosted by me, Calum Schofield. Sensational guests join me on the show to share their stories. Speaking about challenges, hardships and successes, we are unmasking mental health purely by talking. You're listening to the Schofield Stories. Let's get started. Welcome to the show, James.
1: Hi there, Callum. It's great to be here.
0: Well, thank you for being here. So you're probably best known for music, for singing, for being an author as well. Where did this love of music come from?
1: Well, I've, I I guess I just can't re- remember a time in my life where music hasn't been there. Um, certainly, you know, both my parents always supported uh, music, you know, both of them, uh, you know, were out and are still involved in music, my mum in terms of performing, and my dad just, you know, has kind of quite an obsessive relationship with music and consuming music. And, you know, they always just supported me. And it, it wasn't really until my kind of teenage years where, Music became the kind of dominant thing in my life, and then it's only really the last ten years where that's kind of really, you know, become clear that that singing is kind of like my my way. Um, yeah, I guess it's just something that's always been there. I've, you know, I, I studied you know music at university. Um, not that that necessarily has paved the way to what I'm doing now. It's just, it's just always been there in my life. It's not something I've ever really. Um, had to think about too much. There's always been opportunities. There's always been people to play music with. It's just it's just part of who I am, I guess.
0: Was it always something you wanted to do professionally or was there a time when it was just purely um, not a backup as such, but on the side of something else?
1: No, that, that, that's a great question, Callum, because um, I, I spent almost 10 years teaching um, a, a secondary school teacher. And so often you would see this, that uh, particularly, you know, in the, uh, you know, maybe like years, you know, nine and 10, you know, uh, young people are really encouraged, you know, to take part and play an instrument and take their grade exams. And then when it comes to decision time, you know, choosing GCSEs in a career path, you know, people are kind of, you know, asked to do it in inverted commas, think about a proper job, you know, yeah, uh, musician not being one of them. Um, but, that wasn't really the case for me. Um, like I say, I, I think it was when I was like 15 or 16, I just kind of had a bit of a realization that I just wanted music to be my way through life. Really. It wasn't, um, it was just a realization that the, the friends that I played music with, I just, I felt good around them. You know, I, whether I was playing trombone in my local brass band or playing Nirvana covers with my mates or, or whatever, I just felt good. I felt part of something and I just, there were never really any bigger aspirations at that stage other than I just want to keep doing this, I want to keep kind of pursuing this. And that's kind of how I've always been. I've, I've, I've only really ever looked, you know, maybe one or two years ahead. There was never a master plan. But when I was doing my, my music degree uh, in Liverpool, um, I was really, really interested in uh, music therapy. So, you know, the that that's um, the way that music can be used as, as a... As a way to build a relationship with people um, who, you know, from all different kind of backgrounds, but perhaps people maybe who uh, have dementia or maybe have, have learning difficulties in some way. I've got a sister who has got cerebral palsy, and so I've always been really aware of the positive effect that music has on her uh, and the role that, that that music plays in her life. And so I was really, really interested at university about doing postgrad training as a music therapist and the The way that it works in music therapy is that you you, you expected to, to kind of work you know for five to ten years, uh, in the field you know of mu- you know being a musician or music teaching before you then go in and train as a music therapist. And um, I kind of feel what I'm doing now with with my singing work, um, which has a really strong emphasis on community and kind of well being. I kind of feel like I'm fulfilling that role in some way. Not that I'm a trained music therapist, and I'm not saying that in some point in the future I might not pursue that path, but um, if I ever had any aspirations you know, working within music, it was never, for me as a performer, um, I've, it's never been um, about me. I've never really had that calling or that drive. Yeah. What I've always, the common thread that's run through you know, my work for the last almost 20 years now whether it been in schools or working with community groups, has just been bringing people together to make music, um, to create community, to make people feel good. Um, and like I say, in the last 10 years, that's manifested itself almost exclusively um, in singing. And that's kind of the path that I'm currently on at the moment.
0: Yeah, so obviously from your experience, you do a lot of work with workshops, events, to, as you said, bring people Together, what's that like? Because uh, you, you work with a various range of people doing these workshops.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, um, it's probably important to make the distinction, uh, at, you know, uh, between in-person in, in workshops and online, because since March last year, all of the in-person events, gatherings, um, workshops that have obviously stopped and are yeah. now exclusively online. Um, and when we're able to come together to sing again in person, I think I'll, I will. I con- will. I will definitely continue with my work online. I think it's brought amazing opportunities with it, new opportunities. Um, but bef- yeah, b- before lockdown happened, uh, I was running uh, four or five weekly choirs, and, and like you say, working with a real range of, of people's, you know, from, in terms of backgrounds and demographics and. and This for me is really powerful because I really believe in in the power of singing and whoever you are and whatever your background is, I think you can benefit from that. So in in a typical week, this is, you know, pre-lockdown, I would be working with my community choirs, which are, you know, nice kind of, you know, I don't know, fairly middle-class areas. Um, I would also be working with uh, the Wrexham One Love Choir, which is a choir I help set up in Wrexham, which is for people who, experience homelessness or other forms of marginalization, you know, so we've, we've had gigs where we, we've literally picked up people, you know, we know where they were sleeping that night in the town, we'd pick them up. Um, we'd two hours later be on stage at the I performing for hundreds of people. I mean, there are so many stories I could tell you about that, you know, and, th- and then there'll be other weeks where I might be doing a corporate workshop, working with a company an organization, um, you know, and their CEOs are there, or uh, I was doing an event a couple of years ago and Michael Sheen um, flying the flag for South Wales like yourself Callum yeah. <laughs> uh, was at the event and he was singing in my choir and so you, you know the 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 common thread here is, is the singing and it's the effect that I think it can have on people which which, which is unanimously positive positive. Um, and for me that that's been a really kind of exciting realization in the last few years in particular that. So it can reach people in so many different ways and it can have that positive impact.
0: I definitely can. If we can quickly talk about the Wrexham um, One Love Choir, because it does sound sublime, it really does. Where did your idea to set it up come from and how did you go about setting it up? It does some you know, inspiring.
1: Yeah, well, what I will say first of all is that the, there's a huge amount of work um, from lots of other people that helped the practicalities happen but in terms of the kind of the vision for the choir um, it was very much inspired by uh, a charity in England called Choir With No Name who now run four possibly five choirs for people who've experienced homelessness and marginalization right. mm-hmm. so um, I had the pleasure of working with a Liverpool choir on many occasions um, I used to live in Liverpool um, and you know just found it to be the most incredible um, experience, you know, the kind of the meeting of music and people and community and and purpose and and all the things that I now realise are really important to my work, I think kind of almost came to a bit of a head when when I worked with that group for the first time. And so when I I moved um, to North Wales about four or five years ago, um, I got into a conversation with the then MP for Wrexham, Ian Lucas, um, who... uh, it was very switched on to singing. He ran a, an annual Singing in the Streets Festival in Wrexham, bringing choirs into the town centre. And one year after the festival, he noticed that um, a lot of the people in Wrexham town centre who who uh, are homeless or are a little bit on the fringes, really engaged well with the choir performances and really got a lot from it. And I think he'd heard through me about Choir With No Name. So we had a meeting in his in his office Probably about four years ago now, and we said we need to make this happen in Wrexham. You know, we need to have something similar here. And, and from then on, he, you know, brought in dozens of people, different organisations, agencies, getting funding, and just basically we got it off the ground um, in the summer of 2018. Uh, for a few one-off sessions, we had we had to get a bigger room. We had to move rooms in the first session because so many people turned up. Uh, and then we managed to get funding to, for it to run regularly from that autumn, I think. And um, uh, Ian uh, is still very much involved. Often he'll pull on a t-shirt and come and sing with us at a gig. His, uh, his wife, Nora, is the um, musical accompanist. So she plays piano. So she she's very much my kind of right-hand woman in rehearsals. So he has very much a, an active role in it. So he really helped make it happen. And um, yeah, that's where we're up to.
0: It must feel quite you know, incredible to be a part of that, particularly the community feel, bringing people together as you do on many occasions, but particularly with the homelessness in Wrexham.
1: Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it's been good on so many levels. I mean, for me personally, you know, I, I grew up um, in Yorkshire, I spent a lot of time uh, studying and uh, you know, living in Liverpool and the world, and now I live in North Wales. And um, it's really helped me feel connected to the town. Um, for a start, you know, to feel part of the community here myself, but just to see the effect that it has on on people who come to the choir each week, or maybe just drop in for a few rehearsals, you know, it's it's really tangible. You know, that the friendships that are born, you know, the, the confidence that people get through singing together, uh, and as well as the singing. Um, uh, sharing kind of uh, food and eating together is really important so we rehearse um, in the middle of the morning and then after the rehearsal we'll sit down we have lunch together so lunch is provided for everyone who sings in the choir and that's that's as important as the singing you know the the singing is kind of the the rationale for getting us all together and you know we do performances and, and we try and you know achieve the highest musical standard but actually it's not really about that it's about Like you say, it's about the community. And that's really, I think, reinforced by sitting down and eating together afterwards. And we have lots of brilliant volunteers who come from all walks of life. And so just to have that incredible kind of social mix with the common thread being the singing is, is incredibly powerful.
0: And through singing and through these meets, you've been able to watch people, I'm assuming, grow and develop as a person as well.
1: People going on incredible journeys Callum. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the objective for the choir is not to produce perfect choristers. (laughs) Um, the objective for the choir is to give people a safe, nurturing, um, space where they can feel supported and feel part of something. And, um, for some people that is incredibly powerful. You know, a lot of people say this is the one thing I look forward to in my week you know, this provides structure. It's given me a whole new social outlet. And, you know, you, it's really obvious Like when you're standing at the front as a choir director, you can see it, like you can physically see it happening in front of you, you know, so people will stand a little bit taller, they'll hold themselves, um, you know, they'll, they'll kind of pull their shoulders back a little bit, they'll put their heads up high, they'll, they'll be proud of themselves. And and the, you know, there was a, a particular moment at the Isteadford in Klangothlin, it was a massive moment, choir we were on the the main stage in the pavilion in july uh, 2019 and i was just so proud um even before we'd sung a note because everyone we we'd we'd gone on stage we're in our choir t-shirts and people were just standing really tall and and just really proud of themselves and if you're someone you know who's who's on the street or you know who's not used to to be being treated that way it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so just to be able to give a bit of confidence and hope and support, you know, is just, it feels like such a privilege for me to be able to do that.
0: Absolutely. And when you first set it up, when it first started happening, did you ever expect it to reach that point that you're at the Aesteadford on stage as one standing tall? Do you ever think you would reach that point? (laughs)
1: Um, No, no. I mean, if, if you'd have told me, at that first rehearsal that that's, you know, one of the things we'd be doing, you know, I'd, I'd have just, just been blown away. And, and it's not necessarily the fact that we were on such a big stage and it was such a big platform, but it was just that, that we, everybody rose to that occasion. You know, everyone, I, I was, you know, I was scared, I was nervous. Um, I had to hold my head up high and say, this is who we are, you know, and, and bring everybody along with me. But, you know, after we did that performance, you know, on the coach home, and you know, it felt like something had changed somehow, um, for for the better, and it's it's still something we we, we, we talk about, and and actually you, you can you can see our uh, the performances on YouTube, um, I think I can't remember, but if you it was called I think it was called the the I um Inclusion Day, I'll send you a link, Callum. If you, if you can yes, maybe, yes, please in, do in, in the show notes. But it was a really it was a really proud moment and. Yeah, still makes me smile thinking about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just for listeners to be aware, I wasn't aware of this choir until we just spoke about it five minutes ago. So I'm hearing this for the first (laughs) time. And yeah, it's getting me emotional just listening to you speak about it. It's very powerful. That's the power of singing and music, really, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, for me, you know, like I say, singing has always been there it doesn't feel like a big deal for me. And I know that for a lot of people, singing is a massive deal. You know, it's one of the things, you know, along with public speaking, that a lot of people are really inhibited to do. And so I feel that my role so much is instilling confidence in people through singing. Um, And, you know, when you get a little, a little kind of chink of confidence in, in one part of your life, often you see it kind of rippling out into other areas of your life. And I think that's, I, I really see that the most with, with that choir. And, and like I say, seeing the journeys that, that, that people are going on. And quite often, someone who's been singing with us for several weeks or months or years will not be there at the rehearsal and will find out that, you know, they've gone on to do volunteering or further training or, or, or in work or whatever. And that, you know, that that's, I wouldn't say that that's the goal, but we want, it's not a musical path that we're necessarily pushing people down. It's just hopefully using the the choir experience as a springboard for other parts of their life. And, I think and, that's, and that's something where,
0: important yeah, to pick up on it. It's not, you're not bringing these people together to make them all into musicians and singers.
1: That's right. And, and this is where I feel um, I have a bit of an uphill task, really in kind of spreading the word about singing, because the the, the dominant view about singing, um, particularly in the West, is that it's something you either can or you can't do. It's something that, you know, very few people engage in really, you know, the, the majority of people would, would would view themselves as non-singers um, and that it's only those people who have inverted commas, good voices should do it. And only those people who have some kind of permission to do it and, and actually, Singing is like anything else, you know. You just need to to do it, and you need to show up and be prepared, you know, for not to be perfect first time and to make mistakes, and just realize that it's a skill like anything else. Like I always use the analogy of, of, of running. Um, a few years ago, I decided that I wanted to, um, you know, get to the point where I could run 10k or a half marathon. I'd never ever been a runner in my life, and and you know, I didn't dive in and and register for a half marathon, you know, that was a, a month away. I, I started, you know, I did the character 5K program. So I just built it up mm-hmm. gradually, get that little bit of confidence and start to see myself as someone who runs rather than just, you know, kind of put myself on a pedestal. And that's what, that's the, what I try and get across with singing really, is that, you know, um, if you think it's all about judgment and right or wrong, then of course you won't engage with it. But if you see it as a process, and something that you can just develop, then, you know, you can start now.
0: Absolutely. And you talk about the word judgment there. How
1: do you find,
0: what's the best way to sort of overcome that judgment, particularly as we spoke, when we were talking about setting this up, about masculinity and singing, because there's quite a lot of judgment there specifically.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, So many things. To, so many things to talk about here. Um, yeah, I mean, singing, um, talking uh, as a man who sings, there's a whole host of kind of discussions around that. Um, looking at the, the kind of the singing world in particular, you know, the kind of, from want of a better term, like the amateur singing world. So people who basically singing is like a hobby or a pastime, it's not their profession. You know, men are very, very much underrepresented. You know, I think it's about 90%. um, If you look at your average kind of community choir, I think you're looking at kind of 85, 90% female. Um, And so in some ways that there's a view that, that singing might not be deemed as a masculine activity or it's not something that men do. And of course this is ridiculous. I mean you know um i'm I'm in the north of Wales, you're in South Wales where you know we have the most amazing tradition of men singing together oh, right? absolutely um, and you know, if you look at other cultures across the world, you know Georgia has an amazing tradition of of men coming together to sing um, but but it isn't kind of like the, the dominant idea and and I think that there's something about singing that offers a really unique space for men to be together um, in a way that's very very different from traditional all-male kind of settings so by that I mean you know the workplace or or the sports team where you know there's always an undercurrent I think of um, competition uh, an undercurrent of one-upmanship of perhaps being macho um, you know and, and if you take all these things to their extreme you get to you know, toxic masculinity, which is, you know, being manifested um, in various countries at the minute with their political leaders, but let's not go yeah. down that route. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think the singing experience, and particularly when men come together to sing together, it offers a different way of being with each other. So, you know, when, when we come together to sing, it's, it's about listening, primarily. It's about listening to other people's voices. It's about blending. Um, it's about working together. It's about creating something that's collaborative, rather than something that, that's individual, and that is really really powerful, you know, um, in itself. But particularly when we're talking about big groups of men doing that together, that's, I think that's heightened, you know, because you know th- there are so many kind of masks that we're expected um, to wear by society. Um, as males. And, and the, I think perhaps the most, you know, the most interesting one is this issue of vulnerability. I think in the last 10 years, we've, we've seen so, so many leaps and strides in terms of discussions opening up around um, male mental health in particular. But, you know, there is still very much an idea that, that vulnerability is a sign of weakness. Uh, and, and when you're singing, you are making yourself vulnerable, even if you're singing, you know, a really powerful, um, you know, noisy song, like a sea shanty, you're still using your own voice. You're projecting your own voice. And our voices are the most power, uh, personal thing that we have, you know, no two voices are the same. Um, and so just by putting your voice out there, I think that that is the process of making yourself vulnerable. Um, and then, so to have a, a whole group of men, doing that together like I say even if you're singing a really powerful song you're putting a lot of yourself out there and then if then if you start to look at you know songs that are maybe you know more tender or you know th- th- there's um, there's a song that we sing with one of my groups I run an all-male singing group called the Bevington Bittermen who I'm happy to talk a bit more about in a moment but um, we sing a song by Graham Nash um, of Crosby Stills and Nash called Better Man and it's about the end of a relationship. Um, you know, there are some of the lines, you know, in that, in the chorus, like, I just want to hold you. I don't want to hold you down. Um, you're spinning my head around. I don't want to be alone. And these are things that, that are really hard to say often as men. Um, and yet we've got 25, 30 guys singing it together at the same time. And and the um, the, you know, the, what's the word I'm looking for? the kind of implications of that aren't lost on me. And I think it's really powerful.
0: Absolutely. As I completely agree with you from my experience, when I was in school, I took GCSE performing arts just to Mm -hmm. sort of a classic shy child, get himself out of his comfort zone, which worked, but I think there was six males in the class compared to about 25 females. And out of a six, three of them were put in there because they had nothing else to do, so only three of us actually wanted to be there. And that was, you know, there was always little stuff that went around the school of why are they do doing performing arts because they're, they're boys. But the pride I felt singing on stage, we put on this big musical, and this, in the main cast, singing to a full audience on their feet, I felt vulnerable because I was using my voice, as you said. But mm. that feeling, not a lot compares to it, as you probably have experienced so many mm. times.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it, it's an incredible feeling It's and you feel incredibly, yeah, you're incredibly buoyed by that. It's, you know, it, it makes you feel great, but it's a long journey to get to that point. Um, and, and so much of it is about the process. Um, and yeah, you know, we all have our doubts, you know, should I be doing this? Um, you know, like I say, you've got to go through a process of making yourself feel vulnerable, but then, the, you know, the end result if you're up there performing it and, and you're singing you're putting something out there but then you then start getting something back so it becomes this kind of virtuous circle and anyone who's listening to this who's ever sung in a choir or you know it it's not just about choirs for me you know, it, you know I, I run singing sessions in, in in pubs or at least I did um, at mm-hmm. festivals you know it doesn't have to ha- be in a kind of a formal choir setting so anyone who's experienced that will will know what I'm talking about and it's almost like it's not a superpower but it's something that we can all tap into like you know it's something we, we can all experience we don't have to have done a music degree or followed music as a career like i have or even you know do a gcc in in performing arts to, to experience that you know there, there's so many opportunities to get involved with local singing groups or local theater um but i realized that the hardest thing is actually just making that leap of faith um yeah. you know making making that call, turning up, showing up.
0: Yeah, that's by far the hardest part. So why don't you talk a little bit about your all-male choir?
1: I'd love to, yeah. So they're called the Bebington Bittermen. Men. Bevington is where uh, the choir uh, rehearses, which is on, on the Wirral, which is where I used to live. And the Bitter Men, well, we like to leave it up to people to decide whether it's because they're all a little bit jaded or whether because we like drinking bitter because uh, we sing a lot in the pub as well as in the rehearsal room. Now, the the way that the group started was really interesting because um, I've I've been running a choir on the Wirral for 10 years this year, actually. It was the first choir that I ever ran uh, and it's still going strong with uh, almost 100 members. And um, in 2013, just remember my dates. I did a, a big UK and Europe tour with um, a group with whom I now st- still sing called the Spooky Men's Choral, which is an all male a cappella group. Um, all male a cappella, not as you know it. Um, it's it's quite hard to describe um, what the Spooky Men are, um, but it's kind of it's quite theatrical. Um, you know, we sing songs that are incredibly powerful and boisterous and songs that are incredibly tender and funny. There's a Python-esque humour to it. But the, the, the thread that runs through it is the fact that it, it's a group of men singing together. It's mainly guys from Australia, where the group originated, plus guys from the UK. Anyway, um, I, I came back from that tour and I just really missed, uh, you know, we'd been on tour for six weeks, you know, on the tour bus together, travelling around the UK, travelling around Europe. And I just missed the dynamic of being with those guys, with those 15 guys. I miss the singing because it's an incredible sound world when you've got you know all men singing together or you know all female singers it's like it's like you know a a brass band sounds incredible because you have all those complementary sounds in a way that it's kind of harder to replicate when you've got different families of instruments you know in the same way so i i missed the musical experience i missed just the the dynamic of being with guys in that setting and so I went to the, to my community choir and I spoke to the we had about 10 guys in the choir at that point and I said look next week why don't you stay behind and we'll just try and do some songs just just with the men uh and as a one off and, and and we did that and it, and it was wonderful and I got a little taste of you know what I'd had on the tour with the spooky men's choral and um we that was I think 6 years ago and we've now got 30 guys who sing in that group uh and it's become very much you know, a group in its own right, um, and uh, yeah, we sing a huge range of, of music. We don't sing, what we don't sing is kind of barbershop and male voice choir because there are so many other choirs that do that and that isn't our yeah. thing. So, you know, we sing songs by Crosby, Stills and Nash and Sea and, and Shanties and uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, <laughs> last night we started doing a doo-wop version of an undertone song, um and you know we've 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 traveled around and performances we've, we've gone to this kind of singing festivals and it's become a really important social group for the guys as well and, and what was really interesting is that we haven't sung together in person since march last year um but over the summer when restrictions were eased um that the, they have a whatsapp group and they were meeting regularly you know for drinks at the local pub outside and And there is a sense that that group has become a real support network. So even though we, we only, you know, sing for 45 minutes together each week, that experience then lays the foundations for a, a, you know, a much kind of deeper, um, you know, relationship between the guys, really, that the singing is the glue that, that brings us all together. Yeah.
0: It is having that common ground, isn't it?
1: Exactly. It's having that common ground. Yeah. And, um, the great thing about singing is that everyone's on the same team. I mean, you know, up until my teenage years, like football was was my big thing, you know, going to watch matches with my dad and that sense of having that common ground, you know, with him, but with everybody else. But the great thing about singing is that you're all on the same team all the time, you know, that competing aspect um, is taken away.
0: Yeah, that's true. What was it like when we say you toured you were in the UK. What's it like touring, particularly to do something you love?
1: Um, It's amazing and it's really hard <laughs> at the <Yeah>. same time. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'd fully appreciate it. This is the first kind of professional tour that, you know, um, that I'd ever been on. And it was really, really interesting. It was wonderful in so many ways. In- incredibly enriching, but very... Yeah, but lot much harder than than you would expect because on the face of it, oh, you know, we've got to do a sound check each day at five o'clock. We've got to do a two-hour show from half seven to half nine. Normally, would have a few drinks afterwards. We'd then, you know, stop over somewhere and then move on to the next, the next town or city, you know. And you think, oh, that sounds pretty cushy working two hours a day. You know, this was, um, this was in uh my basically my summer holiday from teaching. So I'd been yeah. teaching, 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 teaching. And then I was like, oh, I'm just going to go on tour for a rest. And 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 actually, you know, your energy levels completely shift to being at your most alert and your you know, in your kind of best state in the evening. You then have to really manage your energy levels for the rest of the day. You know, the temptation is, you know, you're on this tour bus, you know, it's a bit like a travelling circus. And at first, actually, you know, I was just so excited. I was just so like uh, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed that I was just like, you know, running around, taking every opportunity and then just crashing and burning and so you know I've, I've done lots of these tours now and it's definitely a marathon and not a sprint and so everyone in the group like has their own way of dealing with it so a lot of people need to take themselves away and have quiet time on their own and, and I'm one of those people now you know a lot of people um maybe have like a daily yoga routine um everyone has their own way because there's no way that you can you can kind of keep it that ramped up um all the time you know because people people have great affection for the Spooky Men's Chorale. We're a bit like a kind of a cult um, kind of hit, really. We're not, you know, we're not like really well known. We know we've had radio play on BBC, but people who like the Spookies tend to love the Spookies. And what they see is our camaraderie on stage. Quite often they'll see us in the bar afterwards singing, and they'll think, wow, that's what they're like 24-7. And there's just no (laughs) way that can be sustained. Um, And so, you know, every tour, I've just been more and more mindful of kind of, nurturing myself looking after myself whether it's getting lots of sleep you know um only drinking on one or two nights perhaps in the week eating properly um yeah all, all those things that don't sound very rock and roll but you know just basically enabled to keep the uh the wheels rolling to keep the show on the road
0: so with all about routine say if you didn't do your routine and other members didn't take that time for themselves is there a risk that you could maybe fall away from what you love about the singing and about the music?
1: Um, I don't know if it's about falling away from loving it, but um, it's just, you just want to be like on your game because when, when everything aligns and everyone is kind of singing, you know, if they're at the top of their game, everyone is really in the moment. There, There really is nothing like, there's really nothing like it. Like there's a video on YouTube of um, us singing in Ely Cathedral um, from I think four years ago. We just like popped in for a visit and we sang whilst we were there. And it was one of those moments where just like everything came together, and it was just this beautiful moment. And you know more than the sum of its parts really. And and if you're not in that in the right space, then you're not open to that. And so all the things I've been talking about kind of support you as a performer, getting the most out of that situation, you know, so if you're up there and you're kind of thinking about something, or I don't know, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but I stopped eating meat on the tour four years ago because we'd eat beforehand. And if, if, if I'd had like, chicken or beef or whatever i would just like be on stage trying to digest it or not even focus on the singing yeah and and so because because i know how much you can get out of the singing all the other things support that and and going to that point of do you ever get a bit blase about it yeah you know there there can be some gigs where i don't know you're just tired the mood is down in the group or you know like you know everyone gets sick on tour and the bug goes around i don't know and it's like a damp thursday night and you just want your own bed and and it's fine to feel like that. Like it's, I think there's a lot of pressure when, when you're doing something that like literally uh, so many people want to be doing. Like when we look out into the audience at a spooky men gig, we know that pretty much, you know, everyone in the audience would be like, I wish we could get on that tour bus. You know, we wish we could be on the road. You know, we've had a lot of female fans turning up with like stick on beards and hats asking if they can join. (laughs) Uh, And so when you're in that position where, um, you feel like you need to be having a great time all the time that you, you know, that does create a bit of pressure on yourself. So I think it is okay to ha- be like, look, I'm just not feeling it tonight. You know, I'm going to sing my best. I'm going to do, do the job uh, and tomorrow's another day. And I think, you know, that, that, that transfers across to, you know, to, to my work as well. I, I you know, i I am so grateful to be doing what I'm doing, leading people in singing and, and creating these opportunities. Uh, and, and quite often there is a very fine line between like life and work and play. Um but I think it's okay sometimes to say, look, this has been a hard day, even if you're just saying it to yourself.
0: Definitely. I think it's it is key to admit when you're I don't want to use the word struggle, when you're having a challenging day just to admit it and yeah, sort of but if you're not open and honest about it then I think that's when more challenges may, yeah come forth,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you know I think honesty is is really, really important. I mean, you know, I don't lay everything bare on social media, but I think it's also important, you know I've never um I, since I've been leading singing, you know, which has been ten years now, I've never wanted for people to think that I'm some kind of invincible character that you know, I know everything there is to know about singing, you know, that everything's always great with me. Um, and I think it's really important to find a way of communicating that with, with, with people and, and being honest. And, and obviously the more you get to know a group, the more honest you can be with them, you know, and like going back to talking about the Rex and One Love Choir, I remember having a conversation with a guy in the choir, I'd smile thinking about him, I haven't seen him for a while cause we're not rehearsing and you know, he's, he's had his fair, share of problems and continues to that he's he's working with and and he's like oh it's all right for you james you know you're you're great you know you're always happy you know you've got your lovely family and your kids and and you know and then we had a really open chat you know about of course there's all these things that i'm really grateful for but you know it's it's not always as kind of kind of black and white as that is it
0: oh no absolutely not and from my experience hosting a mental health podcast. I sometimes feel that pressure that if I'm having a challenging time or having battles of my own. I'm thinking who can I turn to as people see me as the host of a podcast, yeah. but it's not all it seems. And that's why I try to be very open and honest, similar to yourself.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think particularly yeah, for those people who are voices within the world of kind of, you know, mental health and, and well being, I think it's really important that, that that you add your voice to that conversation you know so like i'm just thinking of a couple of examples of people who i follow on on social media like fern cotton and, and matt haig yeah who are both I, really yeah, of course you know really great voices in, in in discussions and quite often they'll be really open you know and these are people who've written you know books and books and books about how to support your own mental health and they'll be saying look i'm having a bad day this is tough i mean of course we're living in a global pandemic but yeah. even before that you know, and I think I think that that honesty is really important. I think honesty, you know, um, it has to be a level that you're comfortable with as well. So like I don't, you know, I don't share absolutely everything on my social media channels. Yeah, of course. Um, but so I think you kind of have to find a point where where you're comfortable with that. But going back to what we were saying about, about kind of toxic masculinity, I think a big part of, of that. Of the problem is the complete lack of showing of any vulnerability or, you know, um, holding your hands up and just pretending that you're invincible, you know, which is ridiculous because um, none of us are.
0: No, but I think it's getting better because when we got people like Tyson Fury, who is mm. arguably, you know, the definition of masculinity and alpha male, talking about his mental health and being open... In interviews, and even after his last victory, started singing as well. So having people like him did he?
1: Oh, I have to, I yeah. have to check that one out. Did yeah, he? Yeah, he just
0: started singing for no apparent reason. But it's just having him talk about his mental health struggles as well as someone who is Tyson Fury. I think we're definitely moving in the right direction.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. and 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 this this podcast is contributing to that, Callum. I think it's really important for. these conversations to be had and and absolutely i mean when you know when i was um when i when when i was teaching i was really really aware of um you know increasing you know kind of um mental health um problems with 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 the pupils i was teaching you know not just the school i was at but just as a a general picture and i was thinking you know i've kind of i've kind of got to make a bit of decision here you know either i'm gonna keep kind of teaching in schools and trying to address it from this perspective but at the same time I felt this pull of I knew that the singing work I was doing and the community work was having this huge payoff for the people who are engaging with it and so I kind of made the decision at that point that I was going to throw everything into um, my freelance work so that's the point where I handed in my notice and stopped teaching and just um, you know. Uh, set up the Rex and One Love Choir, and a lot of the projects that I'm now involved with, and 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 I guess what what I'm trying to say is like we all have to find our way of how we can add our voices to the conversation. So for me, it's through the prism of of singing, um, and using singing as a springboard for for those conversations. But yeah, it's incredibly healthy. And when you have you know like Prince William and um, yeah. Prince Harry, or maybe he's just Harry these days. Um, <laughs> Adding their voices to conversation, uh, you know, I think it, it's really, really powerful. And I think I think, sport is a really interesting area. You know, um, Tyson Fury, I, I still think like perhaps football has got quite a long way to go, but there are increasing yeah. voices within the football world. And um, it's, yeah, it's really healthy.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. A, from your experience as a teacher, what have you seen for some of the struggles that seem to be emerging for young people and mental health
1: um just generally just like a real kind of low level or in some cases high level of kind of anxiety um you know i think it's incredibly hard being a teenager anyway i remember being a teenager um and you know that was without the pressures of social media i mean i think you know there are so many benefits of social media and of the internet and of ideas spreading quickly and and ideas being accessible but that was the root of many many problems uh the 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 kids that i was working with um you know whether it would be uh you know online bullying or just the pressures to look a certain way to act a certain way um it's a real minefield um but my kids are are still preschool so i've got few years yet to try and get my head head around it all but i um you know there were young people who self-harmed um which was you know just something i had to deal with you know it was almost like i couldn't allow myself to get too distressed about it because it was just something that we had to deal with in quite a practical way and signpost people in the right directions but I guess another thing that I was really um, aware of was just how, you know, mental health services like CAMS are just being cut and having funding reduced and, you know, wait times just get so much longer um, for uh, access to, um, you know, getting proper support. And and that's just, it's just like, in some ways I do feel it's a bit of a ticking time bomb, which isn't to be, you know, I don't want to be kind of fatalistic about it, um, but this is why it's so important to be having the conversations and to have that, have that openness and, and yeah, you know, talking about openness, like openness within families as well. Like being able to yeah. speak to your nearest and dearest about it. I was really lucky growing up. Like both my parents were always super honest with me. You know, my dad certainly isn't, your kind of like alpha male. he was always, and still is incredibly kind of sensitive, um, and they're the conversations that I hope I can have with my kids. And, and, you know, and my eldest who's who's three, you know, she'll know sometimes that if we're not having a good day or, you know, we, we don't like hide stuff from her um, in, in a way that maybe other generations might have done. So I think just having, having an open conversation and to know that it's not off limits is really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. While we're speaking about family, I first came across you because of the Sofa Singers, which my mother took part in and still does take part in. So where did the idea for the Sofa Singers come from? Because it's now a worldwide phenomenon, we could say.
1: Yeah, we're reaching hundreds of people around the world every week. It's, It's incredible. No one's been more surprised than me. (laughs) <laughs> Calumet, the the uh, you know the, the success of it. Well, it was a it was a knee-jerk reaction to um, impending lockdown. So beginning of March, it was obvious that lockdown was going to happen soon. It was obvious that me bringing together big groups of people to essentially breathe on each other um, was going to have to stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, like so many people, I felt a little bit kind of powerless. Like, okay, this is happening or it's going to happen. What can I do? And it was when I saw this, the singing in the streets in Italy remember seeing oh, yeah, that on the so news. It. Yeah. So I know what you mean. Singing from the balconies, um, where I thought, you know, this is the moment where we need to be singing together. Like this is more important to be singing now than ever before, but we can't, you know, this is, this is bad. So I think it was a comment. I think I just put something on my Instagram just saying, you know, we need to be able to sing together, but we can't, you know, I wonder if something could, we could do something online. Um, and then there were a few people who waded in saying, yes, please. In fact, there were lots of people who said, come on, James, if you can make anything happen, you you know, if, if anyone can make it happen, it'll be you. <laughs> and so I kind of felt a bit of pressure, but also like a bit excited. And then um, Katie Durham uh, also commented who who I met, I went on her show on, on Radio 3 as part of the BBC wellbeing day. Uh, September 2019 and she said come on James like you've got this we will you know we'll we'll give you a a shout out on Radio 3 if you're able to sort something out yeah so at that point I thought okay I need to do something so um, I just kind of committed to doing a a singing session on zoom uh, about 48 hours after that Instagram post having never used zoom before having not much of a plan other than it would be nice to see people and have a sense that we're all singing together because I realized that we can't synchronize sound on Zoom in the way that would make us sound like a choir, so I knew that was off limits. Yeah. So I just put it out on my social media channels. We got a little piece on the radio, um, and then we did the first session on the 17th of March. And you know, the Zoom room I was at capacity, I had 500 on my account, we're at 500 people from every corner of the world, every age. Every background, every type of sofa you've seen. And, you know, for 45 minutes, we sung Stand By Me um, by uh, Benny King, which seems an appropriate song. And I taught people some optional backing harmonies and we had little finger clicks. And we had this sense that, you know, everyone was in this together and that we were having this joyful shared moment where people could just forget about everything and we could feel connected. Because obviously on Zoom, you can see each other um, yeah. and you can see that you're synchronizing together. And it just like, it just put a massive smile on everybody's face. And I came off the call, like beaming and like, Whoa, what was that? That was, that was great. Um, and then, you know, there's just a, a a flurry of, um, TV pieces about it. The next day we're on the six o'clock news. It went across to American TV. And by that point I thought, we've got to keep on doing this. We've got to keep on doing this. Yeah. Like we're onto something. Um. And so since then, we've been doing two sessions a week ever since, um, and I'm really, really glad that your family are joining us regularly. And, and, and the format has pretty much stayed the same. The remit has stayed the same. Like the, the idea of it is to bring people together um, to experience kind of human connection, to experience joy, and to use the songs as a, a kind of a, a common thread to make us feel more connected. And uh, tomorrow is gonna to be session number 86, I think. um and i still get that same feeling after a session finishes i close down zoom i'm just and i just feel i feel a bit lighter i feel a bit more joyful i feel that somehow we're able to share that energy um in the same way we can share it when we're actually in the room together and yeah and so i just you know having made that commitment at the beginning of march i then kind of recommitted i guess in the summer because you know things unlocked a bit in the uk and elsewhere and numbers were reducing a little bit. We still had a core and I thought, you know, I think we need to like make it clear to people that we're in this for good. Now this isn't just like a lockdown craze. And so we started the members club, which is a way to keep it financially viable for us. Cause we've got a team of people now that run it. Uh, and, and so for the members club, you know, they get a bit extra, they get to watch sessions on catch up and we have a Facebook group and we do extra sessions and it, it's a real kind of, um, a deepening of the community and I didn't know if anyone would, would go for it because you you can still join the sessions for free we have a donation system if you wish but I wanted people to join for free So I thought will people pay for something they can get for free and we've now got hundreds of people in that members club now from every corner of the, of the globe who are kind of really opting into that and leaning in and wanting to be part of that community and it's, it's not just about the singing. Like I say, the singing is the glue that brings us together. Um, for example, every Sunday evening on the members group, everyone, uh, you know, we have a thread on gratitude where one everyone posts one thing that they're grateful for from that week. And uh, this is the second week of 2021 and we all managed to do one thing even from last week, which is the week of all weeks. Yeah. Um, and so it's been a really lovely journey and I kind of feel like it's still the beginning of it really, Callum like every week we feel like we're untapping new possibilities and, and we hear more and more stories from people like, so just for example, this week, this is just in my head. Um, I've had emails from two different people who say that they join with their husbands, um, who are Parkinson's and these are two completely unrelated, different, you know, different families. And they've both said how the singing has really actually helped, um, with, uh, build their vocal strength. Um, yeah. because, uh, you know, um, one of the emails that I got said that, that her husband has completely stopped singing even though he used to love it because he was really aware that his voice was was, was getting weaker because of Parkinson's. And they haven't been able to access any, um, you know, kind of rehabilitation or, or kind of, um, you know, uh, NHS support for that during lockdown. But she says that she actually feels that his voice is now stronger than it was at the beginning uh, of lockdown because he's doing the sofa things each week. And that just... I mean, it warms like my heart, but it just blows my mind as well that me sitting here on my couch in North Wales with my guitar can have that effect. And if it has that effect on one person, then then it's it's worth it for me. And I think it's it's just so fascinating here, everybody's stories and everybody's motivation for joining and, and the effect that it that it has on them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And from what I've um, heard as well, quite a lot of people join who are maybe living alone or spending their lockdown, particularly around christmas time that you always had christmas sing-alongs as well christmas parties and that really helped a lot of people who might have not had anything else around christmas because of yeah. the current climate
1: yeah oh, oh absolutely yeah i mean in, in in my book um i wrote quite extensively about this so-called age of loneliness um you know and and again a bit like with with the mental health you know kind of discussion there's it's very much <clears throat> in a kind of a public forum now about, you know, about loneliness, even before, um, lockdown happened, you know, about how it can affect anybody at any age, you know, how it can have such a detrimental effect on your health. You know, there's one study that, that, you know, if you, if you feel lonely, if you don't feel socially connected, it's as bad for your health as smoking like 15 cigarettes a day, you know? Um, and so it's something I was really switched onto, um, before lockdown, and obviously, you know, that's really put a microscope on, on loneliness and, and people who maybe have never really felt isolated in, in their life before have felt like that for the first time. And so it's it just continues to be, you know, a joy to be able to just help in some way um, w- to help people combat that. And, and that's a lot of the feedback that we get is that people say, I, I felt more connected. I felt part of something and and yeah I, I wasn't i hadn't really planned on doing anything on christmas day um and then i kind of thought well, do you know what this is the day probably more than ever you know people struggle on christmas day at the best of times this feels like the day more than ever where i need to be showing up even if it's just for 45 minutes to do a christmas sing-along for my couch which is what i did and yeah we had hundreds of people on the live stream from all different corners um, joining us and, and if it, like I say, if it felt one person felt more connected and, and a bit more joyful, then, then it was it was worth it.
0: Absolutely. And now I feel like we could talk forever because I've really enjoyed this, but the last thing I want to ask you about is that you are an author as well and you've got a book.
1: I do, yes. Um, the book is called Do Sing, uh, Reclaim Your Voice and Find Your Singing Tribe. And it's part of a series of books from the Do Book Company. I was a massive fan of the series before I was asked to to write a book and, and they're short uh, kind of inspiration guides to get you up doing something so you know there's books on um, uh, you know growing vegetables or there's books on developing your business or you know they're, they're quite kind of concise guides to kind of you know kickstart you in, into doing something and um, yeah I, I spoke at the Do Lectures back in 2018 which is a, a wonderful event uh, in West Wales um, But all the talks go online for free, so you can watch my talk and all the other talks ever from the Do Lectures on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And off the back of that talk, I was then asked to write the book, um, which essentially has three parts to it. Um, The first part is about dispelling a lot of the myths um, or a lot of the misconceptions about singing, you know, so examining the reasons why people tell themselves they can't sing. And quite often it's because people have told them they can't sing when they were younger. But, you know, I also try and unpick a lot of the notions about perfectionism and either you can sing or you can't and things like that. So that, that's the first part of the book is to try and get people into a position where they feel that the singing experience actually might be for them, you know. And, yeah. the, and then the, the, the middle part of the book is about the holistic benefits of singing together. You know, we've touched on quite a few of them there. You know, I talk a lot about community. I talk a lot about the health benefits, about, you know, breathing. Um, and I also draw on a lot of my experience, you know, I write about the Rex and One Love Choir, I talk about my community choirs, I draw on studies that kind of back up, you know, the science backing up what what I see, um, in my choirs. And then, and then the third part, this is the find your singing tribe bit. This is where I try and pinpoint people to, you know, finding the right group for them. You know, I talked about the Bevington Bitterman earlier. There are guys in that group who I know probably wouldn't have joined other singing groups but there's something about that group that felt it was right for them and so there's it's not one size fits all in terms of singing and choirs but i do believe that there's a group out there for everybody uh, and so i kind of help people on that journey um but what i hadn't considered because we hadn't you know been in this situation i hadn't considered how singing can work online and i'm kind of kicking myself now because um in in the book uh, in the opening chapters i wrote about this idea of everyday singing you know i think singing should be part of your everyday experience in the same way that exercise might be or healthy eating shouldn't be something that we put on a big pedestal um and wait till christmas to do or whatever it's just something that we can all do to help us feel healthy and happy and more human but i never thought of actually taking it into people's homes like why didn't i think of that color i'm just kicking myself (laughs) uh because it's over singers you know i see people you know there might be just doing their washing up and they're singing or you know they're joining me you know some people like go for a walk and join us and I'm, that just blows my mind that you know singing doesn't just have to happen in a in a choir or in a, a a setting a formal setting you know we can just be singing all the time wherever we are and so um if if we you know we ever do a, a re-release or a, a you know an addition to there'll definitely be uh definitely be something about um, online singing in there. But yeah, so it just I hope that it gets to the hands of the people who need it, which are people in particular who think that singing is not for them, that, you know, they feel inhibited to sing and they want to find out more about why it's so good for you. And it's not a book about this is how you'll get a perfect technique or this is how you'll, you know, sound like Beyonce. It's about these are the ways that you'll benefit in terms of your health and your well-being from engaging in singing. And it doesn't matter what your voice is like it's about doing it
0: yeah that's absolutely brilliant uh, where can people find your book uh
1: they can find it in all the usual uh online places um uh, i would encourage people if they can to buy you can either buy direct from the do book company which is the do uh, there's also a website, bookshop.org, which supports independent uh, bookshops, but you can find it on Amazon as well, and Waterstones and, and all those places. It's also available as an audiobook. Um, if you've got Spotify, you can actually listen to it for free. You can stream it for free. Um, but obviously, if you enjoy it, you can then buy it. I'm just saying I'm doing myself yeah. out of a sale there. But you, you can uh, you can purchase an audiobook on Audible. Um, there's also eBooks. Uh, and yeah, it's reached every corner of the world, which is great. Um, you know, it, we, we've got uh, distributors in Australia, in America, and across Europe. So wherever people are listening, um, you can get hold of a copy. And if you do, let me know. It's always a delight to know when it's in people's hands.
0: Yeah, there will be links in the show notes. So anyone listening, right, yeah, definitely that, check it out. But James, thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed this episode. I think we've yeah really hit the nail on the head when it comes to encouraging people to talk that's all i can say really you've got any last words
1: no i think i think you said the right thing there you know singing isn't about the singing it's about being open it's about communicating how you feel it's about being part of a community it's about allowing yourself to feel vulnerable and if you go through all that and you do it you end up feeling great so i would encourage people to reclaim their singing voice if they've uh, had it taken off them That's
0: a brilliant piece of advice to end the show on. James, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the School for Your Stories podcast. Without you, my incredible listeners, I willn't be able to do what I do. So I hope you know how much your support means to me. As just by tuning in, we are striking the stigma surrounding mental health. If you want more, you can find the Schofield Stories on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and at theschofieldstories.com. Feel free to drop me an email at the underscore schofield underscore stories at outlook.com. As always, This episode is brought to you in association with Stop Honing Back, a personal development charity for people who stutter, a charity I'm a part of, which is very close to my heart. So now, all that's left for me to say is thank you for listening. I hope to speak to you again on another episode of the Schofield Stories. Goodbye for now.